0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself. Uh, you're here with your host Leo Flowers, and I'm joined by the lovely and talented Julie Barr.
1: Hello, everybody. Hello, Leo Flowers. I love saying your whole name, Leo Flowers. <laughs> Hello, Leo Flowers. It's a good name.
0: Oh, yeah, we're going to have fun. We're on the cruise line right now, uh, performing for, oh, I'm only on here for six, seven days. We've done six shows and uh Julie's the headliner she's been killing people. people love her they love her hair right what color what color is that i want to say pink but it's i feel it's atomic like pink it's atomic it's pink. atomic pink yeah
1: it's my natural color that i finally came to after years so. and
0: how how many how long have you had your hair pink atomic pink atomic pink that is very specific 15
1: years wow so i put myself between Cyndi Lauper and Katy Perry in the differently colored hair. I'm not as cool as George Clinton or um, Sid Vicious, because right. they had funky, cool hair way before. But So I put myself between Cyndi Lauper and Katy Perry.
0: I love it. I'm bald, so I can't do anything. There's Every now and again, I, I wish I could mix it up. You know what I'm saying? girl but I'm I'm balding in the middle, so uh, nothing good comes of that. It's like George Jefferson back in the day. Uh, I'm excited to have you on today. Thank you so much. Because you have not only a fascinating story, but a fascinating perspective on life that uh, I'm excited about. Uh, But, you know, before we get into that, you asked me about like about the title of the right. podcast. Right, why is this called Before You Kill <laughs> Yourself? So there's a, there's a couple reasons. Um, one is I was on a plane, and uh, uh, I was talking about the title with another comedian. I was like, hey, I was thinking about calling it Before You Kill Yourself. And this lady popped up in, in two rows in front of me and was like, uh, you should be careful what you're talking about because you don't know who's listening. And and then she proceeds to tell me that uh, she had a gun to her head in her bathroom. And she was ready to pull the trigger. She had
1: the gun to her own head. She had
0: the gun to her own head. Wow. And ready to pull the trigger. Then she heard her baby crying. And the baby crying is what pulled her out of it. And uh, she raised her son. Uh, And that, to me is what the show is about? It's like, hold on before you kill yourself. Go take care of your baby.
1: I really relate to this story, not with the extreme of the gun to my head, right. but I was certainly at a point where I was it was an option to leave the planet. It was I was looking at it as an option. And I remember laying in my bed, thinking about how well how i was going to do it and what i needed to take care of before i did it and my sister called and was getting ready to go into labor with her last son her youngest son and i s i went with her i completely abandoned what i was thinking i drove to where she was I spent time with her in her last week before she went into labor. I was in the labor and delivery room. I was the first person to hold my nephew. And I remember thinking two things. One, this can't be such a bad place if babies are being sent here. Mm. And two, I didn't want to leave that child with this question, who is that woman in the picture, and why isn't she here anymore? And so when, it's so funny because I always loved the song by Etta James, At Last. And when I held this baby, that song became truer than any man I had ever loved. At last, my love has come along. My heart was wrapped in clover. I mean, I, I could cry right now thinking about it because he... I used him as the reason to stay here. And that was really, I totally relate to that woman's story.
0: At last is such a powerful. At last. Yeah. Now I got to pay for it singing. <laughs> uh. You know, and I, I'm very
1: lucky because of dear friends. I am very, very fortunate that I got to see at James perform that at, at twice in live. and, it is a powerful, powerful song. But I had all always attributed it to a man who loved me. Um, you know, I was looking for that man who would inspire that song. And really, what that song to me means now is my love, meaning my love for myself and my love that I have freely to give to other people, has come along. I finally felt the fullness of myself and I've have not revisited the conversation in,
0: within myself about should I kill myself. That's so beautiful, and and it's it's fascinating because I'm realizing we have a similar story because uh, I have a nephew nine years old, and we have the same birthday. Oh, isn't that amazing? And I'm and it to me the what's uh, part of what's keeping me going is I'm so. Fascinated by how he's gonna grow up and turn out. Isn't that great? Yeah, because he speaks. He's nine years old. He speaks three languages. He speaks because uh, uh, he's he speaks English and Spanish, but uh, because he's taking Taekwondo, he also speaks a little Korean. Like they have to study Korean right. as they go through, and uh, and so he's he's taking like uh, Taekwondo, and he's into coding. Like he's really smart and precocious. And I'm, for him. I'm, fat. And I'm like, we got the same birthday? And I was like, and I already feel like, like he's doing so well in life. I'm like, I clearly have not lived up to my potential. Me either. Was- <laughs> I mean,
1: listening to this, I'm like, well, I've wasted my life. <laughs> Maybe I should have just killed myself. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just totally kidding.
0: So you were talking about how, uh, you know, you were thinking about taking your life right. and then uh, you know, you're holding the baby, and and Etta James. What what led you up to those thoughts and those ideas? So, um, I was uh, an
1: alcoholic and a drug addict, and um, I had I had a lot of emotional pain from my childhood that I hadn't processed. Uh, growing up in a home that where there's a lot of alcoholism, and a lot of different kinds of abuses, and, and all of that stuff, and so I, um, drank, and, and did drugs, and at the end, uh, at the end of that phase, (laughs) um, I was a crack addict, and, uh, an alcoholic, and really, it was sort of in a hopeful way to just get away from the planet, so, Um, there were moments when I was really thinking about actively participating in suicide, but really unintentionally or in a passive-aggressive way, I was hoping I would just die. So, um, but the interesting thing about that for me is that it, it was, I was still on the fence, obviously, because if I clearly, we can, we've seen millions of people, Many really wonderful stars, comics, singers, you know, heroine. There's so many ways to pretty much guarantee that you're going out. So there was always that little bit of hope, I think. What is the, I think it's a, is it Emily Dickinson? Hope uh, is the thing with feathers that perches in your soul. I believe that's a Emily Dickinson poem. But it's this all, there's a, there, I know there's a Charles Bukowski poem about, there's a bluebird in my heart. Mm. And um, in the poem, Charles Bukowski talks about, shut up, you stupid bird. I don't want anybody to know. So I'm going to drink you down and I'm going to smoke you down. And, but at night, sometimes I let you out and I know that you're, it's a beautiful, heartbreaking poem. So obviously I had some hope in there. Um, But I was just drinking and drugging and drinking and drugging. And the thing that you know about addiction, if you're an addict, is that one is too many and a million is never enough. And so you, you are chasing that first high, that first wonderful, glorious, beautiful, transcendent high, and you never get it. So you just more, 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 more. So no... People knew that, I think people in my life knew that I was um, an alcoholic or that I did not handle liquor well. But as soon as somebody realized that I was doing drugs, I sort of disappeared. That's one of the things um, about my addiction is that if you found out about me then I would either avoid you never see you again or find other people who would not ask me any questions wow. so I was constantly it's a lot of work to be an addict
0: because it's a lot of hiding right <laughs> yeah. you got it's a lot of covering your trail yes and uh, uh yeah playing small and avoiding and it's you
1: can't answer the phone you can't
0: Open your mail. Yeah, yeah.
1: (laughs) You can't open your mail if you see people. And I, um, I am the oldest of four children, um, raised in the late '60s, early '70s, and I certainly understand codependency. So it's paint the picture of happy, fun, everything's great. I mean, I think. Comedians, particularly, we're really good at that. Create a diversion with your comedy. If you're a kid who's getting beat up, you become the class clown because you're you will totally distract them from the violence by your humor. I was a tall girl um, in the era where you know I was the firstborn, but I should have been a boy. You know that whole kind mm-hmm, of right, attitude, right, right. and uh, so I was constantly making jokes to distract from my insecurity, from your problems.
0: Yeah. You know, uh, what's fascinating are a couple of things that you said. One is the going back to, you said the blue bird in the yes. heart and at night you would let it shine. What, uh, what's fascinating about depression and uh, suicide is that a lot of people with depression, uh, it's hard for them to start their day. Right. Right. The day is tough. Yeah. And, but at night, they get this second wind. And and a lot of people aren't aware of that. They get a second wind at night, and all of a sudden they come alive, and they're singing and they're dancing. And then in the morning, like it, it starts to cycle all over again. So it was interesting that he said, at night, I'll let you out. It's right. like there's this freedom, maybe because it is darkness in it, and you feel like you can hide, and you don't have to be happy. You know. I
1: think you said that in your... In one of your jokes the other night, and I sort of paid attention, um, at night, exactly what you said, people aren't out doing things, they're asleep, so they're leaving you alone, there's, the streets are empty, so you have this idea that I'm, I am okay, Uh, I can do whatever I want, nobody sees what I'm doing, Uh, because there's... So a certain kind of pressure when you wake up, if you are uncertain about yourself and you wake up into a crowd of people, you start making the assumption, look at how successful they are. Look at how wonderful their lives are. I mean, which is ridiculous because you can't judge people's insides by their outsides. Right. But if you're depressed, you are convinced. Everyone else understands and <laughs> you have just been denied access to the instruction book.
0: Oh, I had so much social anxiety this morning walking to breakfast really because it's like you have to walk through a million people (laughs) you know like i said we're on a cruise ship and so you know if you want to go eat you have to go outside leave your cabin i mean i could get room service but i'm aware that that's just me wanting to hide and avoid the you know people yeah, and uh, I was just like, "Oh my God, there's so many people. I can't please, God. Let me just let me just get to the biscuits. I just all I want are, I just, <laughs> I just want some oatmeal and some walnuts. Don't uh, is somebody touching me? Oh God, is yeah. That you know, like I was so like it was all too much. It was the, the sun is out. Like the sun hasn't been out for the past couple of days, and i I've loved that. Everybody else was miserable. I was like, "Thank God the sun's not out." I agree. Uh, I'm the same way. And this morning was just like, oh, my God.
1: Rain is the same kind of thing for me. I grew up in, in upstate New York, and we had a lot of rain. And my favorite day of the week was Sunday because my parents would be hungover, so they would not pay any attention to me. And it was raining, so nobody was out. Come on, play, blah, blah. So I would sit in my room and... It was the perfect breeding ground for that moody teenage girl writing poems, the bleakness and the blackness. I mean, you
0: know, part of it is the drama.
1: Part of it is totally the drama of all of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I love it. You're exactly right. uh, I did think about it in terms of Sunday being a distraction for my mom, but uh, my mom always talked to this lady named Peggy, and I knew any time Peggy called, that I could ask my mom for anything. Yeah. And I could do whatever I wanted because Peggy would have my mom dying laughing <laughs> the whole time. And I'd be like, oh, thank God Peggy's called. Thank you know? God for Peggy. And uh, it, it's interesting because now in my head, I'm like, oh, I think, you know, people go, what got me into comedy? I think part of it is like trying to be Peggy. Right. Like trying to yeah. be that distraction, Ooh, trying to be the person who makes my mom laugh, that entertains. And then that way I can... I can, I can feel free to do whatever I want to do, and I can get away with whatever, you know.
1: You can see, I mean, you can see how, and if you look back in your life, when you've been able to make people laugh in any situation, you can sort of, um, you can dis- dissolve what's, whatever's happening. Yes. I mean, I remember one time the... <laughs> My our friends at the Internal Revenue Service came to visit me, and it was very nice of them. They were wonderful people. This woman was so nice, and I she came to my house, and it's not it's not a good thing, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, when they're showing up at your house. But anyway, she came to my house, and I remember sitting there thinking, uh, and I said to her, "You know, I was just talking to somebody about how spiritually I really need to handle." all of my earthly responsibilities and she just looked at me and said this isn't a good thing that I'm here and I just started laughing because I I, so then I felt better I mean even though I was ridiculous (laughs) at least I could laugh about it and she just kind of smirked because she's probably like who is this person (laughs)
0: In my head, I'm thinking, like, how many letters did they send? Oh, Lord. How many phone calls oh, were there Lord. before they showed oh, up? Oh, I know. It's a
1: lot, by the way. It's a lot. Uh, I don't recommend it. I don't encourage that behavior. Uh, yeah, but, you know, hey, it is what it is, and it's all taken care of.
0: Uh, before we were talking, uh, last night, I think it was last night at dinner and, uh, and I was asking you like, what were some of the things that helped you to get through your, uh, addiction? And you mentioned EMDR. Mm -hmm. Can you, uh, talk to us about what that is and what that was like and, and what you were using that for? Right. So my understanding, I believe that (laughs) I hope I know what I'm talking about,
1: um, So I had some trauma as a child involved with abuse. I don't really, I I really want to be very clear about this. Um, Those were things that happened to me and they led me to the next thing. Um, I don't see the point or the value in going through and explaining exactly what it was because I don't think it helps anybody. Um, And... The one thing that I would like to just interject here, when I got into recovery, I remember people saying to me always, identify, don't compare. Identify with what you can identify with. And don't compare your story. Because each, and I've heard you say it, each Each person's story is different. Each person's experience is different. But my understanding of EMDR was, um, I had been doing a lot of talk therapy. So now I'm in recovery at this point in the conversation. I've been in recovery since 1989 is when I finally got clean and sober. And um, now I have to deal with the wreckage of the past. I have to deal with all the things that drove me personally to drinking and drugging, to avoidance, really. Um, And so I went my therapist suggested EMDR. And what she explained to me was that when a traumatic event happens, it sort of sticks into one
0: lobe of the brain. Does
1: this sound familiar?
0: Um, it's, it's whatever. It's, it's kind of like that book, uh, uh, Your Body Keeps Score. Yes. Yeah, it registers. Like some people, that's why some people get uh, stomach pain. Right. Well, when they're distressed, some people get back pain, some people get headaches, some people get their jaw, I have a friend, her jaw always hurts because that's where she holds her stress. Right. So that makes sense, absolutely. So it's whatever
1: side of the brain processed it when it happened, um, that's where it's stuck. And talk therapy just keeps it there. And so her explanation to me was, and I read, there's, I believe there's an article that was in the New York Times about it, and I read that article, that what happens is you tell the story to the, the therapist and then you tell how you would like to feel about it so you will you tell the story in a different way um and then what happens is so in other words I, I would normally tell a story like I'll just use an example of I was mugged I never was mugged but I'm going to use that example so I'm walking down the street and it's late at night and all of a sudden this guy comes out and he grabs me around the neck and he holds a gun to me and he says, give me all your money and I'm la, 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 So now forever and ever, amen, you're afraid of darkness, you're afraid of streets, you don't want to be by yourself. So you want to tell that story in a different way. So now I would tell the story, um... When I walk down the street, I'm aware of my surroundings. I don't go to places where I know that I'm vulnerable, on and on and on. Is this making sense? Yes, absolutely. So I told...
0: It's kind of like rephrasing. Yes, perfectly said, uh, beautifully said.
1: I need more coffee. (laughs) 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 Um, So to rephrase it, exactly. And then what happens is while you are telling the story... What happens, either they put headphones on you with a click that goes alternately right side, left side, right side, left side. Or in my case, my therapist sat across from me and she just touched my knee. But, so she would touch right knee, left knee, right knee, left knee. And the physical touching of the body brings it to the opposite lobe in your brain. So as you're talking, it moves. I don't know the neurologic reasons or the brain reasons, but it was really amazing because I told her this story of some, someone coming into my room late at night. And it used to be a story that filled me with terror. I mean, terror. Like, I, I don't recall of her feeling. And then we did the EMDR where she sat across from me and I told the story, and then I told who I am now and the things that I feel about that story and what I understand to be true about that story as she moved her finger from knee to knee to knee. And now I can really easily tell that story, and I don't have that fe- that visceral feeling of terror. It's an amazing... I don't know how it works,
0: really. You know what? It, it makes sense. Uh, it is... It, I don't know if this story will make sense to relate your story, but I remember when I was being recruited for college football and uh, we'd go meet the coaches. I hated when the coaches would put their uh, hand on my back. Yes. There's something, uh, I don't know where it comes from, but there's something like, I don't know if kind of is the word or like you're trying to lead me down a path. Like you're trying to convince me of something, and I'm like, we're not buddies like that, (laughs) and my buddies wouldn't put their hand on my back. Like that that to me is a signal that you're trying to play buddy, but we're not really buddies. Right? My buddy would put his either put his arm around me, or he wouldn't touch me at all. You know what I'm saying? Right. Absolutely. It wouldn't be this in between kind of thing, and so. Anytime they did that, I'd be like, I'm not coming here. Like, I'm done. Like, I can't. Like, what is this? You know what I mean? Yes. Because I I associate that feeling that it's just there's something visceral about it. And I think that a lot of people do store uh, pain in different parts of their body, and they're not aware of it because of how they were touched or um, other things that were going on. Right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. So, and yeah, go like on. with PTSD, it's like sometimes you don't even realize uh, how colors are triggering you. Right. Or sense or a, a name or a sound is triggering you. So, that, you know, by going knee to knee, it's like, oh, we're moving the energy. We're shifting the energy. That's perfectly
1: right? said, because really what it does. So when you have a traumatic event, And you tell the story, you sort of just work grooves into your brain about that story. And sometimes I've noticed that I just start telling a story out of habit because I've worn that groove. And when I was really being a victim all the time, um, in my early, you know, when I was using and then when I was in early sobriety, I had practiced this victim story so long that it was almost knee jerk. And by telling the story in a different way and have somebody physically pull me, pull my focus, it shifted it amazingly. I mean, really, really. And it sort of freed up all those other stories because they sort of get like a chain link. You get one little tiny story
0: and then you start hooking them to all those other stories. And it's fascinating. You know, it's part of why I take a cold shower in the morning. Um, I take a regular hot shower. Right. But at the very end, I will turn the water as cold as possible and I will do my self-affirmations 10 times. Wow. Under the cold water. Be- uh, and I kind of got it from watching like a bunch of military movies <laughs> where they're torturing the victims. Oh, nice. And like they dump cold water on them, right? And then they make them- And But I've noticed that when they're doing that, the... The... Um, the uh, the soldier or whoever is being tortured will keep repeating something over and over again, whether it's their uh, ID badge number or um, a, a, a saying or whatever, to keep them focused and not from you know so they don't go crazy. Right. And I was like, oh, I could do that with self. I also do it with stand up, like with jokes. I'm trying to remember. Yes. So, like, I'll get in a cold shower
1: <laughs> <laughs> because
0: it, you know, it's that idea of if you practice under harsher conditions than the actual condition, then the condition will be easier.
1: Well, the, the wonderful thing, um, I, I've, I saw this with my dog. I had a great dog for 14 years, and um, he's since flown over the Rainbow Bridge, as we would say in the pet community. Um, Carlitos was an amazing dog. And what I noticed is if he would get going... Like running away from me, or he would get barking about something uh, that he wanted. Uh, you know, you, anybody who has animals in their life understands that they have their own agendas. <laughs> and so, um, what I would notice is that if I would just drop a can with coins in it, or I would snap my finger, or I would run the opposite way. What it does is it stops the momentum of whatever's going on with him at that moment. You know, our inclination is to go after them, but now they just think that's a game. So now, or to yell louder, then they're like, "Well, if you're going to yell louder, I'm going to bark louder." Right. So then it's two people. I want you to be quiet. Rawr, 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 rawr. I want you. So if you can just distract yourself, and I've learned in my spiritual travels that the whole key to everything is distract if you are on a tear that is not serving you or doesn't feel good to you just leave it and distract yourself you're not going to talk yourself out of it so distract yourself by taking a walk or listening to a song or cold take
0: shower cold shower
1: <laughs> i prefer naps coffee Um, just distract yourself because it will stop and I've learned this all from Abraham Hicks by the way I have to say that they are the teachers who have really influenced me but um, you have to distract yourself
0: how long were you uh, how many uh, sessions of the EMDR did you go through three Three sessions. Three sessions. Wow. I don't have a particular. I'm
1: not, you know, a prisoner of war, or I did not have a particular you know, particular, particularly, sorry, um, really violent situation to get over. But also, I have to say, there's so much to being willing to let go of that story. That is a big part of it. And I have to say, in recovery. A lot of people, when they are thinking about I'm going to have to get sober, I have to get clean, the fear is I don't know what it's going to be like, and I don't know what is going to happen to me, and I don't know who I have to be in this new life. That's why most recovery programs are one day at a time. Just take today. But the mo- be, even before that, I learned I just have to be willing. I don't have to do it. I don't have to know it. I don't have to understand it. But I have to be willing. So every day I would say, I am willing to let this go. I am willing to be a better person. I'm willing to be sober. You don't always get sober the first time or get clean the first time or you know, run the right thing or write the best joke. But are you willing? And the willingness... Will sort of pull you along, I think.
0: Do you think? Yeah, it goes back to that idea of just of like just show up. Yeah. If you if you just show up for it, see what happens. You know, it, it's like <laughs> like the anxiety I had this morning is like like in my head for you know emotionally, I'm like it's gonna go south or you know people are gonna be like I don't know what I was I know. thinking, but I know that my body I felt small and I was like and I was but I was trying to play big on the outside of like hey you know whatever and uh and it's like but just show up right and see what happens and and most of the time nothing bad happens right, right. and and if you go back through your history you'll be like well I showed up to breakfast yesterday and nothing happened you know what i mean <laughs> so it's ridiculous like that's you realize how ridiculous your your a, a lot of your anxieties and fears are
1: but the thing that i've the thing that i've learned so in the in the when i was a kid and I had feelings about stuff because there's a lot of craziness going on in my family and in my house and in my, also in in the culture because it was the 60s. I mean, it was right. cuckoo crazy time.
0: How old are you now?
1: I'm 61. 61. Yeah, okay. so I was born in 58. Right on. And uh, so I was around and very aware of what was happening in, uh, in with civil rights and with the wars and blah, 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 blah. Um, I don't mean to say blah, 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 like... <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. yeah. There were just
0: dogs being sick, on people. Yeah, in yeah, you know, it was just as horrible.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was really... It's so funny because, you know, they people are really working so diligently to protect vulnerable people from certain situations. And when we grew up, it was in your face. It was on the tv constantly it was in your neighborhood it was your friends it was so it was i mean it's probably the same and i i don't mean the same but it was very similar to people who grew up in bosnia or croatia or serbia or any war-torn place it's just um it's always present and so there's this awareness that you get this sort of hyper vigilance to what is going to happen next, because you can't figure it out. It's like growing up in an alcoholic home. You don't know what's setting everybody off, and you can't. And I used to try to figure it out. Okay, if I say this, and they do this, and you can't do, you can't do that at all. But um, I went off on a tangent. I apologize. Do you remember what I was no, saying?
0: No, but it's basically it's like you can't predict the future. Right. So that's why you just have to be willing to show up, because right. – you don't know what other people are going to do, or what the, what's going to happen in the world, and and really all the news is presenting you with are things that they're aware of that could potentially happen. But there's a million other scenarios of things that could happen, but they're, but we just don't know. That's right. So we don't know. That's right. I I, tr- I look at life as like algebra. Like there's I mean, always an X factor. There's yes. always an unknown. Yeah. So show up and see what the X is. You know. Yeah.
1: Well, it's kind of like. The, the other part of it is all of the things, and this is what um, Abraham Hicks says all the time, and I love this way of looking at things. So everything is true. Everything is true. People are great. People are evil. People are wonderful. The economy is terrible. The economy is great. Uh, air traffic is easy. Air traffic is terrible. All of these things are true. The, ch- the choice that we have, which I know now, it took me quite a while to figure this out, to understand this. You have a choice what you want to pay attention to. Do you want to pay attention to the, you know, do you want to walk down the street and see the litter and see the homeless person and see the fight happening? Or do you want to see the puppies and the babies and the flowers and the people holding the door for one another. What are you looking for in your in your life? And when you when you are sad, and when you are hopeless and helpless, you are going to just find more
0: things that are hopeless and helpless. You know what's powerful about that is, uh, you know, the idea of people looking for love, and they're like, "Oh, I'm looking for love," but I realize that you know like even when i was walking to breakfast if my mindset was instead of like oh what are people thinking or you know caught up in my feelings i could be like let's notice how many signs of love right i can notice on the way to the breakfast right now that gives you an intention it gives you presence it gives you purpose and you'll you'll find that it made me realize like oh you don't have to look for love because love you just have to notice it it's already there like you said, everything is true, and i've I've done that before, and I forgot to. You know, sometimes you forget your mental exercises.
1: It's, it's habitual, and it's too
0: right? Right. It's about making making it a habit. That's right. Yeah. I. It's very
1: true that. First of all, I love this idea, and it's very, uh, it's very airy fairy, um, to say. I'm looking for love. Why would you look for love when you are love? Mm. You are love. And the other thing I want to say about that is I, I like working out on cruise ships for a lot of different reasons. One of the reasons that I like is that it's a segment of the population. It's a much smaller segment of the population than on land. If I'm on land, I have the whole world to contend with. You know, I have all the people driving around. But this is limited. There's 5,000 people approximately to deal with, and I can deal with that. I can figure it out. I know I sound like a goofball, but I can handle five thousand people. I can keep my, I can keep my, um, my steadiness in five thousand people. A lot of the reasons I don't like being with in crowds, or in in busy places, is I don't know that I can hold my own point of view in that. So I feel pulled. Because if I see somebody, um, I think that comes from my early codependence training. If I see people in stress, I want to go help them. Well, you can't spend all day helping people; it's ridiculous. Plus, they're never going to figure out how to help themselves, Absolutely. which is not helpful. So, um, or I'm I so I want to be sure that I can hold my um, position, and. Uh, the other thing that I love about working on cruise ships is that most people are coming with the intention of relaxing and having fun. That's their intention. Now, unfortunately, they bring themselves on the cruise. And uh, there's a lot of alcohol on the cruise, <laughs> yeah. too. And yeah. they, what, yeah. what
0: you really want to do, we, we find out very soon. <laughs>
1: yeah. Well, it's like a big box of consumption. <laughs> yes. Whatever you want to wow. consume yeah. is here. If you want... Alcohol, if you want, uh, whatever you want, gambling, if you want food, if you want other people, whatever it is that you are interested in consuming, it is here and it's in floating in a little box it's around like a
0: tiny little Vegas. Yes, minus the 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 escorts and but who knows? I'm sure there's a cruise ship for that.
1: I don't know. <laughs> I don't want to know actually. <laughs> um, but uh, so I like that people have the their. A, their intention is to have fun and to relax. Yeah. And um, so I can work with that intention, which is fun. So it's it's really a great way for me to do what I love, yes. be who I am, and do it in a, it's sort of like a Petri dish. It's sort of like a controlled situation. And it's amazing, Leo Flowers, I have to say, that um, April 19th, of this year, it will be 30 years of continuous sobriety. Wow. I never thought I would get here. Uh, 30 years ago, my best solution was think about ways to kill myself. That was really my big idea. That was my best thought. And 30 years later, one day at a time, one hour at a time, with... So much um, so much assistance from friends, family, teachers, um, everything is different. I'm different. I'm the essence of who I was to start out with, but I'm so different. And when I go to speak to people in rehabs or jails or schools or meetings, I say this, look, you have no idea what is ahead. You don't know, and so I'll, you're not going to know unless you stay on the road and just put one foot in front of the other. And if you sit at the side of the road for thirty <laughs> years and just you know, like ask for money or right, whatever,
0: kind of meandering. That's
1: fine. That is fine. That there's there's no way to do it. But you you just don't know. And I I look every once in a while. I look back and I think. Wow, I had no idea that I would be on cruise ships and working as a professional comedian, meeting thousands and thousands of people.
0: People love you; they they come oh, that's up to really you nice. and Thank they you. hug you, and uh, you know, I see the way the kids respond to you, and it's it's something powerful about connecting with so many different demographics. Because you realize that we, yeah, what you are what we are reading in a newspaper and seeing in the news is like. Oh, we're not that divided. It's like no at a comedy show. That's where you know. That's I think that's the power of sports and live events. Right, is it brings people of all demographics together, and like fights aren't breaking out, and people aren't like, (laughs) hey, I don't like your, you know, who'd you vote for? Like nobody's having those discuss. I mean, we are on stage sometimes, but uh, but people are getting along. It's the same for you. What people respond to is
1: authenticity Mm. if you it doesn't matter all the different parts of you whether you're male female straight gay black white asian latin uh in a wheelchair you know one eye it doesn't matter if you are authentically and i believe that that is true about you that is why you are naturally authentic you just are who you are and that is what people are attracted to. They are attracted to people who are being real. Without, uh, I have a really dear friend who um, teaches dance and is a great dancer. And he said to me one day, Julie Barr, the thing that I like about you is that there's not a lot of extra noise when I'm talking to you. It's not a lot of... Um, and that's what I like in people, too. I don't, I don't want to feel their... Um, insecurity, doubt, fear, wondering, blah, blah. And when I meet people like that, I just go, "Not a match." I have to go now. I have to go. <laughs> the captain needs me to steer the ship. Which, by the way, never would happen, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Anybody who's listening to this, no captain is ever asking me to help steer the ship at all.
0: The uh, you you mentioned previously, you talked about uh, codependency training. Yes, what. What were some of the takeaways from that? Like, what was that? Because I, I I, know I've struggled with it. You know, I, have, I was talking about, you know, being a people pleaser and having my emotions wrapped up in the people around me and things like that. So what was that?
1: So it's basically that um, the dominant person, um, the dominant person um, in your life will... Will tell you that their feelings and their needs come before yours. So you are here to serve us. That's what a codependent is. The what is the um, the the uh, saying about codependency is the uh, the ultimate codependency is dying and have someone else's life flash before your eyes. <laughs> like um, I. I would try to figure out, and that's part. And I have to say, that's part of that thing about going up to the the breakfast in the morning, because you are raised. First of all, be, we are in instinctively caring people. We're we're uplifters. We want people to be happy. We want people to feel love. We want to feel love. We want to be uplifted. We want to have fun. So. Part of the codependency is you feel and I feel responsible for everybody else's feelings and and concerns, and that is that codependent thing where uh, I can't be happy unless you're happy. Um, in, uh, in Al-Anon, which is the support system to Alcoholics Anonymous, um, they... It's for people who are living with, fam- with family members or people who have addiction. And because what happens is if I live with somebody who has an addiction and I don't have the addiction, first of all, I don't have the out of the addiction. People who are addicted, you know, they can go into a blackout or they can be high. They, can, they have a little bit of an escape. The second thing is, and the, the the sober person is just sitting there having to deal with all of that pain and anxiety. And they also, as the sober person, you're trying to fix that person and help that person. So your whole focus becomes that person. And you put all of your time and effort, all decisions are made based on how they're going to be. Um, so they're, they're really... Um, Lois Wilson is the person who founded Al-Anon, and it was really for the the person who is dealing with addiction to put the focus on themselves. And one of the things that they suggest is when the drunken person comes home at the end of the night, at the end of their you know day or whatever, um, when they come in, you look at your feet and respond that way. Because if you look up at their face, you're going to change how you feel based on what their face is. If their face is mad, you're going to be like, hey, hi, how are you? And if their face is happy, then you're happy. Oh, it's going to be happy. If they're sad, you're like, oh, what can I do to help you? So I've had to deal with this whole thing of what other people are doing, what other people think of me, am I offending people, and Abraham Hicks said this amazing thing to me. They said, if you don't put, if you don't focus on them, they will not even see you coming. They won't see you. They won't even know you are there. Your Looking at what they think or feel or are doing is including them in your experience. Mm-hmm. And that was so valuable. So here I am. I'm 5'10. I have tattoos. I have a big smiley face. I have pink and blue hair. And do you know something, Leo Flowers? I have been invisible many, many times because I just focus on what I'm there to do and not what everybody else is doing so I can just go in and out. I was on a ship with 6,000 people. I got on the plane right after that cruise. I'm sitting next to a couple, and I say, oh, did you have fun in Florida? Did you go to Disney World? And they said, no, we were on a cruise. Oh, really? Which cruise? They told me the the one that I had just been on. I said, did you ever see me? Nope. Never saw me. And my pictures everywhere. It's on the TV screens. They even came to the comedy club. They never saw me. Wow. Isn't that amazing? They And I'm everywhere. Like, I walk around. Yeah. I don't hide in my yeah, room. Right. I go upstairs to eat. I'm out walking by the pool. I'm doing stuff. They never saw me. And I was everywhere. So we just weren't a match to each other. And... So I try to keep that in my brain as much as I possibly
0: can. Yeah, because people got their own stuff going on. Absolutely, You know, love, hate, whatever it is. They're in their own head. How am I going to pay for this cruise? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this is
1: the last day of cruise,
0: so I know there are a lot of people wondering that today.
1: (laughs) Yeah,
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they're going to have that. Somebody's going to be knocking on their door for their money. Yeah. Uh, the, you know, one of the, the cool things you, you, you talked about was uh, do everything with, uh, without anesthesia. Yes. We talked about that yeah. uh, a little bit last night. Can you speak more to that?
1: Yeah, I'd be happy to. So um, I started drinking uh, when I was 11. I was tall and I hung out with older kids. Um, and I also had a very romantic vision of drugs and alcohol. Um, because there's this rebelliousness to that. There's this outlaw kind of thing, especially when uh, I love old movies, and I mean old, old movies. And so if you look at movies from the 40s, even from the 60s and the 70s, you know, people are, they look so cool. They have cigarettes and really cool drinks, and they say witty, clever things to each other. And there's a great Simpsons episode about that where Homer... Has been, you know, is passed out on the floor and Marge is vacuuming his head. And uh, he's, she said, Do you realize what happened last night? And you see in his head this vision of he's so witty and everything. (laughs) (laughs) And really, he's, you know, stumbling, stumbling and he's leering, (laughs) lecturing after Flanders' wife. And it's, and that's really it. So, um, so I started drinking. Um, and smoking pot and taking hallucinogenics. and it all makes sense to you, doesn't it? Now <laughs> looking at me,
0: yeah the, um, pink, the, yeah, the yeah, atomic atomic pink, atomic pink.
1: Well, I love I love colors. I really love colors. So, um, so I was really under the influence of a drug from eleven until thirty one. Really, wow. always. And then I was around in the 80s and, you know, cocaine and uh, I really I only met one drug I didn't like. I've only met a few drugs I don't like. But I love that idea of being taken out of the reality and sort of floating away to You know, and then like what they say about alcohol, it's liquid courage. You feel braver, you feel smarter, you feel stronger, you feel sexier. You're not, by the way, but you feel that way. Um, And so when uh, I didn't have that anymore, that was my, it's all avoidance, by the way, but I didn't have that. You know, I'm having a tough day or I'm doing something that is brand new to me, um, I'm going to just have a drink, just take the edge off, or I'm going to smoke a joint just to feel more creative, and uh, plus all that thing about, I'm sure you understand this too, musicians and comics and artists, you know, alcohol and drugs really freeze your mind to be the creative person that you totally are, and initially and yes there is some of that in that but unfortunately then the drug or the drink or the whatever then that takes charge of what's happening and you just look at it I mean out of all the times that I ever thought I came up with a funny joke and would laugh and laugh and laugh for hours and hours and hours being high about something (laughs) and then the next day I'd be like what
0: it doesn't even make sense. It's even even it even holds true for the, the material you come up with in the middle of the night. Yes. And then you read it in the morning, <laughs> you're like, what? Why was that so funny last? Like at 2 a.m. It was G.G. g like I just knew I was gonna have an HBO special. Yes. And I'm exactly. done. Like I'm about to blow up. Uh, 20 trillion hits. When I wake up and I'm like, oh, I would lose followers if I put this
1: Yeah. Isn't yeah, that it's hilarious? Crazy- when
0: you're in an altered state, we, we think that it's that's where the genius is, but
1: So then when you when you have no um, easy out, when you have no anesthesia and you have to feel the feelings that are going on. You have to look at the fear, doubt, insecurity or whatever. Even you know, actually one of the the more challenging parts for me initially was not the sad days or the ha- or the angry days it was the happy days it was the you know one of my my triggers was when it goes from winter to spring and it's the first time people don't have coats on and people are starting to barbecue outside and uh you know people are driving around with their windows down and you can hear music now the feeling was everybody is having a wonderful time and i'm not included and that was that was the the trickiest part for me that was the hook it wasn't the sad place cuz i'm used to that and you know there's a lot of music and movies that can really um uh, amplify that. You know, you can find a million Absolutely. sad movies and yeah. sad songs, and, you know, you just sit there playing the same song and then just going back to the beginning. Oh, oh, oh. But it was the happy times. It was the idea that things were happening that I'm not involved with.
0: Well, you know, what's interesting is that that's when uh, uh, suicide rates actually spike.
1: I can imagine.
0: During, people think they spike, like, in the wintertime, but usually... People are too depressed and too like they are too. They don't have enough energy to. to I mean, it is it's crazy to say that. No, they don't no, have I understand. The energy to take their life, <laughs> and then spring comes around. All of a sudden, the sun's out and the birds are chirping. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, I can do this now. You know, and that was a good. Like they clean out everything, they start ordering stuff, and then you know, adios. And it's the same. It's the same sentiment of, uh, you know, life is beautiful and amazing and, and carrying on without me and you feel left out and then you have this surge of energy and then you don't know what to do with it. It's kind of scary. Right. Uh, because you have energy to do stuff, but there's nothing for you to do. Right. Or you feel like it. Let's take it back. You feel like there's nothing for you to do or be a part of.
1: That's correct. You know? Yeah. It's really, and you know, the, the wonderful thing is, and we sort of talked about this last night in our conversation. Um, we only have, I know this is going to sound really quantum physics, hippie, dippy airy-fairy, but we only have now and the perspective of now. So um, when we look back at our past, we're looking at it from this perspective. We've come, we've come down this road, and all the places we stopped and all the things that we did make us the person that we are right now who we are, not that we are, who we are right now. And the future, we're projecting from this now. And the future is going to change based on the roads we take to get there. So it's it's really a lie. It's really, it's a story. It's not, there's no validity to what we think, actually. So if I just worry about where, you know, where my feet are, look at my feet and see where I am and think about that. Because we also don't know there's a zillion different alternatives that could happen. Anything can happen. Anything wonderful can happen. You just don't know. You have no idea. We think we know because we think we're smart and we believe our brains when our brain, oh, you're so smart. You know, you're better than everybody. You should have this. You shouldn't have that. But it's just, it's from that perspective of this moment.
0: Yeah. You know, by because, you know, the, I think what makes it powerful about looking at your feet, it sounds ridiculous, but really it's the idea of, grounding yourself. Right,
1: absolutely.
0: And when you when you uh, come, in, and even at what is also part of the um, guided meditation. Yes. So that you can, you're aware of how you feel. How does your, are you holding tension in your hands and relaxing your face? And, you know, because, you know, I and take, I take yoga sometimes. And, you know, one of the first things I'll have you do is, you know, lay on your back and, or... I'm like let your face relax, let your hands, and you're like, oh, I didn't realize I was holding tension in so many places. Right, you know my right. eye, my eyelids. You know, like your 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 fingers and your hands and things like that. So the idea of like paying attention to your feet, it, it just it's a grounding thing. Which also, on a tangent, uh, is what they say to do to help you fight um, jet lag. So to oh, wow. when you land somewhere. To take your shoes off and walk on the the grass. Or the oh, dirt. interesting! I think that's part of why people kiss the ground yes. when they initially land. It's like a way of grounding yourself and acclimating yourself to. I thought they area. were the Pope. Uh, is they're kissing <laughs> the ground? The Pope, but you know, um, I want
1: to go. Back. I want to include this in the in the codependency. Yeah, finish that uh, up. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, no, no, no. We're great. I love this. Is my favorite way to talk. I love this. I, I mean. I don't know if people have left this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They're like, "What in the world is happening?" Um, most people are like, "Hey, you know what? I'm going to go book a cruise." Yeah. Uh, but the the great thing about all of this the the breathing, the feeling your eyelids, your fingers, your toes, yes. and looking at your feet is is part of the unlearning codependency. So it's what do I think? It's also taking a breath and make before you make a decision. Because if somebody knocked on this door right now and said, there's 12 puppies out here and they don't have anywhere to go and there's an old lady who's fallen, you and I, I know, we would just leap right up and go running out there. I know I can take some of these puppies and you have some of these puppies and let's help this woman. Let's carry her to the bed. We would, of course, do that. But... (laughs) The um, – I'll never uh, – actually, I'll tell you this story. I was taking a bus with my sister and my two brothers. Actually, I think we only had one brother at that point. The other one wasn't born yet. We were going from New York up to New England, and we were at the Greyhound bus station, which is always a wonderful experience for everyone involved. And uh, this woman came up to me, and she said, Could I have your suitcase, please? And I actually thought, huh, I wonder how I can put my clothes in with my brother's clothes so that this lady could have the suitcase. And my sister said, you can't give her our suitcase. And I went, all oh, right, I can't, I'm sorry, ma'am, I can't give you our suitcase. And she said to me, are you Lithuanian? And I said, no, I'm not. Uh, oh, figures. Like if I were Lithuanian just by patriotism or camaraderie, I would give her my suitcase. But that was a very codependent thing, initial knee-jerk reaction. This lady obviously needs a suitcase, so let's give her our suitcase. That's kind of, I think all of us are raised in that, in the United States of America, the golden rule. Do on to others, like the focus is uh, do on to others, but the real focus should be you have to do for yourself, like the airline says. You have to put your mask on first before you help other people. So as you're unlearning codependent behavior, you don't knee-jerk respond to things. If someone says, could you lend me $10,000 instead of, oh yeah, I'll get four more jobs and get you the money. No, instead you think, can I get back to you tomorrow? Can I answer this question later? We have this idea that In the minute-to-minute, second-to-second, we have to answer everything. And you don't have to. You can take your time.
0: I've gotten – I'm getting so much better at not not necessarily saying no, but saying can you reach out to me six months from now? Right. Right now I'm overwhelmed. I really want to give what you want to do attention, but I can't give it the attention that I want to give it and I think that it needs And then that, because then what it also does is if it's really important to you, you will reach back out in six months. Right. Because a lot of times people will just inundate you with stuff because they just thought about it and they really hadn't thought through it. Right. And and then they're hoping for you to to help them think through it. And I'm like, all right, well, get back to me in six months or a year or whatever. And uh, it's much more powerful than saying no, because I think as a society goes back. We struggle, people. You know, there was that whole "just say no" to drugs, but <laughs> as Americans, we struggle with just saying no.
1: It's exactly.
0: So, to the like, I realize when I meet people who have no problem saying no, I'm like, "Oh, you say no." <laughs> I'm like, "Hey, could you get that no?" I was like, "Wow, like you actually have no in your vocabulary." Like, it's shocking. Just because I notice how I never say no. I always, oh, that doesn't work for me, or maybe later. Or, right. Let me you know, there's yeah. always some. But people who just can say, no, here's what I'm thinking, I'm like, wow. I know. It's like a superpower.
1: I, I believe that it is. Because, um, you know, when whenever we would ask, whenever I'd ask my dad for money when we were kids, or my mom would ask my dad for money. No was the easiest thing. No, 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 you can't have it. No, 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 no. So I think we tie in that no with um, authority and discipline and, you know, iron fist and ruling. But it's really valuable to say no. There's um, uh, a really dear friend has just written a book called The Beautiful No. Sherry Salata is her name, and it'll be coming out in June, and I'm so excited to read this. She's a really remarkable human. Um, but, yeah, no is a big thing. Salata is S-A-L-A-T-A.
0: You know, I dated uh, my one of my ex-girlfriends. Uh, I hate to use the word narcissist because uh, <laughs> I don't like to label people. But... She, she made it easier for me to not necessarily say no, but to not feel as much, as many feelings as I feel, or the, the amount of empathy. Right. Because like she would hear like like a, a a city got flooded or something, she'd be like, "What were they doing in that city?" Oh, you my know, like Lord. Like, she had this, like, very, like, yeah. <laughs> I guess they won't be going back to it. Like, she had a very sarcastic view of yeah, it. Yeah, I guess it was their or, fault. Yeah, yeah, their it was like get, being in that city. And it, it is crude and is, like, uh, you know, it, it was drawing at first. But it's also really helped me when I'm if I am watching the news and I hear about something awful happening, I kind of hear her voice <laughs> in place of it being like, oh, I guess you won't be going to that theater again, or what were you doing there, right? <laughs> yeah, or you, you like you probably did something in a past life. Like it's, it's like it's a, it's a horrible <laughs> voice. It's the devil for sure. Oh my gosh! But it, it like prevents it keeps me detached. In some ways, yeah. yeah.
1: The people in Pompeii really <laughs> had it coming.
0: You know, yeah. <laughs>
1: the, they must have just thought evil thoughts, which caused the volcano to erupt. Yes, that is so old school thinking. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny that.
0: You- but but she grew up. You know, she grew up, and I, you know, once again, like privilege, and like just not, um, you know, didn't have to fight and claw her way. And so I, I, she has a. It's just lack of exposure, right? You know, I, I think that's really most of what it is, and um, and a lot of people have that who don't travel. That's the beauty of traveling. And, it's and, true. And seeing the world, you go, oh, there are different ways to think about this or eat. That's this the or do best that. sentence
1: yeah. I've ever heard. I love that sentence. What's that? There are different ways to think about everything. Yes, there is a different perspective that you could explore. But, you know, Leo Flowers, when you were just talking about that, if you think about think back in your life, and I do this every once in a while, I think back in my life. When the big things happen, the really big things, the traumatic things or the shocking things, or we always know intuitively what to do. We always get through it. I mean, when uh, the floods were happening last year in Texas, People just did what they needed to do. They didn't think about it. They didn't have a Senate subcommittee hearing. They didn't have a focus group. They got up and they went and did it. I had a really dear friend who spent the whole month and a half after the floods just driving boats and supplies back from Dallas to Houston, Dallas to Houston, Dallas to Houston. We intuitively know what to do when the big stuff happens but it's the everyday little things that we just get undone about that. I mean, I used to hear that so much in in recovery where people would say, you know, I went through a divorce and then our house burned down and then this happened and today my shoelace broke and I was late for work and I'm gonna kill myself. It's like, are you kidding me? This is nothing. It just becomes, we just get in this perspective that it's all important, and it isn't.
0: No, no.
1: Sometimes it's just ants at a picnic, and what are you going to do? Right, doesn't mean anything. (laughs) It's just ants at a picnic. That's what happens when you eat on the ground. Ants come by your blanket because they see food, and they're like, hey, look, there's food there. But it's true. I mean, I do it too. You know, I'm having a nervous breakdown about stuff that has, n- it's nothing.
0: All right, so let me ask you this. Yeah. Uh, you, 15 years ago, you dyed it atomic pink.
1: Oh, yeah, my hair, yeah.
0: So is that is that part of the distraction, do you think?
1: Interesting. So I've always had, um, I have like very um, light brown, white girl hair, nothing exciting. Right. And... Uh, I really respond to color, and I've always been looking for my hair color. I was blonde mostly, but pretty soon my hair looked like my face. I just looked like a toe or something. I don't really know. It just looked bad, (laughs) and uh, so I was working on a ship, and um, you know I love spas and salons, and I am really a girl. I do have girl parts, (laughs) and. Girl things. I love lotions and potions and stuff. So I went up to the spa, and um, the hairdresser was from New Zealand. And she said, You know, you should really try some different colors. And I was like, What color could I try? And she said, Well, let's try. What about the? We have pink and purple and blue. And those are all colors I love. Mm -hmm. They make me happy. I mean, when I see pink flowers or a pink pig or. you know, a pink baby or it makes you happy. Absolutely. I'm really mad that they've put it in. I'm really mad that they're putting colored ribbons in with diseases. Uh- <laughs> it's really making me mad because I'm like, come on. Yeah, it's like <laughs> every
0: time you see pink, it's like, oh, like now people think like you yeah, have cancer. Are you a right. cancer survivor? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I'm like, no, I have pink hair. And I remember someone said to me, Pink is not a color of hair. And I said, Really? Have you ever seen a unicorn or a mermaid or a fairy or an elf or a care bear? And they said, Well, those things aren't real to you. Right. Those things aren't real. Because it goes to back to you. everything
0: is uh everything is true.
1: Yes, and it's your perspective. Absolutely. And I I can't say if I can't say to you, I mean, I can say, but it's it's really stupid if I say to you, Leo Flowers, it's just ridiculous for you to feel the feelings that you have. What Those things aren't real. But to you, they are very, very real. I know people who are untreated, schizophrenic people. Mm. And they are living in a reality that I am not living in. And when they say to me, can you see the lions and the lizards out on the front lawn? I have to say to them, I can't see them. But that doesn't mean that you don't see them. And that doesn't mean that they're not there. It just means that right now, in my perspective, I can't see them. Because for me to say that they're not there, who am I?
0: I don't know. Maybe they are there. And, you know, what's interesting about it, it's almost like uh, when you look at clouds. Right. Right? And one person goes, oh, you see the horse? And you go, I don't see the horse. But then you look at it long enough and you go, oh, there is a horse. So That's right. even with the schizophrenia, or you know, people who do, battling schizophrenia, if they go, you see the lines, you go, not now. It doesn't right. have to be, you know, it's, it's going to take me a while to see things the way you see them. But at some point I'll be like, Oh, and, but sincerely, if, you know, if, if it goes back to what are you looking for? Right. And right? believing is seeing. Absolutely. Um, it's,
1: we were talking about, um, I was telling you about Oliver Sacks, the neurologist. Yes. Who wrote Awakenings and wrote The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. And he's written, he's in non-physical now. But he wrote a bunch of books about people's interpretation of colors and sights and sounds that are different because of the wiring in their brains. It's all it's also fascinating how it's all together. You know, it all melds together. And it depends on where do you want to sit. I like this way of conversing about all of these important subjects. If I were sitting in a Conference on neurology. I'd probably be asleep right now, right? Because I don't relate to that. It's interesting to know. I take the fun parts of it. <laughs> this has been the most fun conversation. Are all your podcasts like this? Because <laughs> this is
0: really fun. It, it, it depends on the guest, but usually, yes. Like they're they you know, because like I said, it, it for me, it's like I I have to be fascinated by. You and your story, right? To to be able to want to sit here and talk to you, it's true about everything. Versus, you know, oh, you have credentials. Yeah. It's like, all right, great, but if we talk for five <laughs> minutes or ten minutes, and I'm like, oh my god, like like no, 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 and I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be able to ask you the questions, right, to really get in there. Um. One, so yeah, one of my favorite. um
1: one of my, I just, I had this thought because I thought about fourteen different things while you were saying that. It's true, you are interested in in what you're interested in, and if you're not, it's it's not going to hold your attention. But uh, I just had this thought. It must, it must not be true. What is it they say that? Uh, um, the the cool thing about um, perspective. Is that there's people have different experiences with their perspective. And um, <clears throat> no, that wasn't what I was talking about. I, I'll get to it. <laughs> Never mind. Sorry. I'm Emily Latella. Do you remember? Did
0: I do. Uh, but while you're thinking about that, yep. so 30 years sober. Yes, right? Yes. April nineteenth. Yes. Um is there some anxiety as you approach every uh anniversary and if not then uh, is there something you do on any every anniversary like is there a way you or do you just go just another day and
1: yeah you know initially it was a big deal from um initially it was really really a big deal um and i counted every day and when you are in recovery they um they have every 30 days and up to a year, they acknowledge because it is one day at a time. Um, I don't do anything particular. I'm not nervous about it because I don't, um, I don't really focus on that part anymore. I rarely talk about, um, being sober, um, because it's just a part of my experience. Um, it's a part of who I am. Um, I don't make a big deal out of it. I am forever, forever, um, appreciative of the recovery programs in in the world, particularly the the number one, um, Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, the uh, it's it's groundbreaking. Are you
0: still going to those meetings? No. Uh, I So you. I'm just trying to get like a, a quick tra- uh, trajectory. Right, right. Sorry. We're in, um, we're, we're, you, you, with the drugs you're doing, and then do you is your first was your first step to go to AA? Yes. Okay, so you went to AA, and then how long were you in? Well, AA? my first step
1: was to go to rehab.
0: Oh, go to rehab. Yeah, right. Yeah, how long were yeah. you in rehab for?
1: Uh, probably about
0: thirty days. So you're in rehab for thirty days. Yes. And then after thirty days, you went into AA. Yes. How long were you in AA for?
1: Well, immediately, immediately, you know, this is funny. Um, uh, this, is a, this is an interesting conversation because the traditions of Alcoholics Anonymous are that you never break your anonymity at the level of radio, press, or television. And the reason that that is a tradition in recovery is because, um, say, for example, I come out publicly and I say that I'm sober. And then I get drunk again, which is part of the disease. The disease of addiction. The number one symptom is denial. Number one. Without it, doesn't matter what you use, what you, when you use, how much you use, who you use with. It's what happens to you when you use, um, when you drink, when you drug. That that's the the premise for both of the um, all recovery programs. So, um, the tradition was not to break your anonymity because if I go back out and get drunk, then I'm pulling Alcoholics Anonymous down with me. Now everybody thinks, well, AA doesn't work because look at her, she's hammered. Um, it's interesting. AA started in 1935 and it was two men trying to stay sober and talking to each other. Um, there are, there's literature, there's steps. It's fant. It, it, it saved my life for, uh, without question, going to the meetings that I went to, and I went every day for 10 years. Every single day I was at a meeting, um, without question. And I was listening to anything anybody said who had experience staying sober back to back. I would listen to anything that that people would say about that. Um, and I didn't know that I could get clean and sober. I didn't know that I could have a different life. Remember, my best idea was I'm going to just kill myself. Um, but I did believe that they believed I could do it. And I rode that belief hard. I held on to that like a bucking bronco. Um, And I did not want to be thrown off. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I was like, I am going to do this. I am willing to do whatever they say for me to do. And so I did that. And um, I did that every day for 10 years. And um, then I started really, my belief, this is, my own personal belief is that you have to change the person who walked into those initial halls. You have to change the person who went to rehab because the person who went into that rehab cannot stay sober. That person, that victim, that person who is confused and depressed and angry and sad and, blaming that person cannot stay sober that person has to be rehabbed into a new person and so there has to be a spiritual uh change there has to be a transformation spiritually (coughs) excuse me um does this make sense
0: to you absolutely yeah yeah go ahead
1: so I really had to work on. I really had to work on how to change that person, and so my question that I asked myself was, um, "What does this all mean? What What is the point of all this? Why are we here? What is the deal? What What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to think? You know, in um, in in all kinds of religions and recovery programs." uh they talk about there you have to somehow believe that there's a power greater than yourself because my best thinking got me you know in the messes that I was in so i have to believe that there's something greater than me that can assist me so i started like wh- who is that what is that and so i i started the spiritual journey so i started going to retreats I was in Boston, so um, there's a ton of Catholic retreats. There's a ton of Christian retreats. Um, and I started looking, well, is it religion that I'm interested in? And I found for myself that religion is politics. It's like, do you want to be you know, in the Green Party or a Republican or a Democrat? I don't want to – I'm not interested. I really wanted to answer the – existential questions that so many people have asked, philosophers, poets, comics, artists, humans. And so I started going through um, authors um, and (laughs) a complete list of authors that helped Julie to her point. is available upon request. I mean, everybody, just crazy things, the uh, traditional things. I just started looking. Psychology, spirituality, teachers, and then um, in two thousand and six, um, I went to an Abraham Hicks workshop. Oh, by the way, I did other things too. I did the S trainings in the seventies. I did uh, um, Life Spring. I, you name it,
0: I did. You it. were there.
1: Color therapy numerology, like, just find a thing. And I'd be like, oh, that looks interesting. Runes, uh, polarity therapy, uh, reiki, um, yoga. It, the Indigo Girls had a song. I went to the mountain. I looked to the doctor. I mean, that was me. Closer to find That was me. I was constantly... Where's my answer? Who do I belong to? You know, am I a mouseketeer? Am I uh, uh, in the NRA? Who, where, what group do I belong in? And I could never find the group. Recovery was the closest because it's really, you know, you're in a group, but it's an individual process. Um, and I also, at the same time, while I'm looking around for who am I and what do I believe in and what what am I going to think about um it became more and more difficult to sit and say i am an alcoholic because i hadn't been drinking and i hadn't been using and i didn't want to go back to that pain i did not want to go back to those early days um if anybody ever asks me to speak in a meeting i always will say yes if anybody asks me for help personally I will always help them, and I will always direct people to that initial place. But there has to be something past that in my feeling for me. And all of these opinions are Julie Barr's and do not reflect those of any recovery programs or psychological institute in the United States or the world at large. But for me, I had to find something bigger than that and to sit and do the same thing over and over and over again did not serve me so um that's when I found Abraham Hicks I went in 2006 I went to a workshop and what I heard there helped sort of take every experience up to that point and crystallize it first of all the thing that I learned that um I am there is a larger part of me, whether I call it God, soul, inner being, source, there's a bigger part to me. And that resonated with me. The idea that I am the physical manifestation of that which I have understood to be the universe. The second thing that I heard was that I create my own reality based on what I put my attention to, my feelings, my thoughts, and my words during the day. And that was freeing because I was no longer a victim to anything that had happened to me previously. Now I could understand that everything was a co-creation. I was a part of all of that that happened. And it was my pathway to this moment. Because there isn't, if you believe in quantum physics, there's a stream of energy that we are all part of. And and uh, what is it that Joni Mitchell said? We are stardust. We are golden. And we've got to get back to the garden. Like, we're all part. Wasn't that Joni Mitchell? Uh, I
0: don't know who that, but I, I have heard uh, when uh, people talk about, like, we're we're all made up of the same thing that the universe and the stars are yes, made up of. Yes,
1: absolutely, positively. Right, right. So if I am a part of that, then I'm individual walking in this meat suit down the street, but the larger part of me is part of everything and everyone. And that's sort of like what the gurus say when they greet an animal or a human I salute the divinity in you that whatever you call it, and I, I heard for the first time that it's on a case-by-case basis. You get to believe what you want to believe, and I get to believe what I want to believe, and we can coexist in that and then um, go on with our lives. You can have everything that you want, and I can have everything that I want. I don't need to get your approval or get you to agree so that this can happen. That was freeing for me. I'm no longer a victim. I can choose any point of view I want and I can create the momentum from that. I know this is kind of getting into some, for a lot of people, they're like, no, no, it, but it, no, it's, it's
0: powerful because, uh, like you said, and we talked about in the beginning, is like we get into this victim mentality and we Absolutely. talk about what's happened to. Us. Right. A a lot of people, if you listen to, you know, uh, you when we were talking the other night, you're like a great listener, because I like to listen to how people process the world. And it's interesting how some people have this thing where they're always talking about what's happened to them. Right. Versus what they're creating, what they're giving, what they're adding, what they're excited about. And a lot of people are like stuck on the same channel and they don't realize it. You know, there's a quote that says, um, like, something it's something to the effects of small people talk about uh, events. Uh, uh, average people talk about um, themselves or something. And then, um, you know, uh, pe- not higher people, but... <laughs> Uh, smart people talk about ideas right and I, I forget I forget who said it, it, it was a it was a, a female um, but it, it's true oh no, I'm good thank you but it's it's the idea of like what what do you what do you have what are you talking about are you talking to, oh it was uh talking about people versus events versus ideas and you know I, I always try to stay in the idea mode and I'm listening for ideas but also perspective are, are you a victim, or are you contributing to the world, which is a much more empowering story? Well, the 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 wonderful thing that I really
1: heard, and I have to, I know I keep saying Abraham Hicks because I really want, I don't want to take credit for I'm a super genius. Um, I got it though. It was amazing to all of a sudden. It was funny. It was kind of like making a quilt which I've always admired people who can make quilts. It's amazing to me. that So I took all of the little squares that were Julie. So I took my family, and I took um, my addiction, and I took my comedy, and I took the millions of jobs I had. Um, I initially was going to be a special ed teacher, and I was going to save all the children in the world. And um, Not that they asked, by the way. Um <laughs> I just decided they all needed saving. So (laughs) the children of the world, please help us. Um, So I took all of those squares. And when I sat and listened to what Abraham was saying, Abraham Hicks, all of a sudden the quilt formed. And I thought, wow, this is so great. I get it. I get the big picture. I get where I fit in the big picture. And that... If I am the physical if I am the physical representation of all that is so my friend used to say you are infinite intelligence masquerading as a pink-haired comedian on a cruise ship as you are infinite intelligence masquerading as a tall handsome balding gentleman who does comedy and podcasts and looking to lighten the load for everybody i, I prefer
0: bald over balding Bal, oh. balding sounds like i'm trying to hold on to the, <laughs> <laughs> to the, to the last you have a great here. head though
1: i mean i really like to say you have a great head it would be it would be like what if you had like this weirdo oh uh, yeah.
0: but yeah i remember scotty pippen who played for the bulls he, he tried to go bald. i remember that oh, his no. head is horrendous <laughs> It looks like, uh, was it not terracotta? (laughs) You know, when I
1: was in college, my friend Maria and I decided that we had perms because we're both white girls who really want kinky, great, fabulous hair that we weren't born with. So we got perms, which is a, you know, it's the same thing as for uh, black women trying to relax their hair. Perms are just horrifying. It's just chemicals and pain and... So our perms were growing out, and they looked terrible. And so we decided to shave our heads, and we shaved our heads in college. Completely? Completely. I Was
0: Sinead O'Connor? Yes, but it was
1: the year before Sinead O'Connor. And not only was it the year before Sinead O'Connor, but it was even before, I think maybe that Star Trek woman who was bald was out. But it was 1978, and you can't imagine. People thought I had lost my mind. First of all, people were like, they assumed that I was gay. And I'm based on what? Because I don't have hair? I'm gay? And then people thought that I was a freak, which was even more disturbing. And then people thought I had cancer. This was way before any of this stuff. It was so disturbing. Now it would be nothing.
0: No big deal at all. No big deal.
1: But it was so amazing how people would impose whatever system they were working under onto my hair. Yes. So, anyway, going back to um, understanding the the tapestry of where I fit in. When I looked at my life as okay, so there's an energy stream that if I am um, if I wake up and I sort of look where my feet are. And I, I ground myself with meditation or prayer or whatever it is that happens to work out or listening to um, something inspirational. I, I start the day understanding who I am and then I can sort of pre-pave my day. Do I want a day where I'm seeing babies and flowers and puppies and or am I, you know still working on something that happened the day before where I'm cranky and miserable and if I'm going to start the day dragging that back in then it's just going to be that same kind of day all over again.
0: Excuse me, I have to cough. <laughs> <coughs> so then what is your process? You wake up and you notice, "Oh, I still got some residue from yesterday."
1: Well, I try you know? not I I try to think to myself, <coughs> excuse me. That was yesterday, this is today.
0: Sorry, which is not you know. It's, it's, I talk to people about uh, it's so important to. I call. I have a thing called germs. It, oh, interesting. Germs as, as an acronym for journal, exercise, read, meditate, self-talk. Wonderful. And so, when my emotions, because I'm a Pisces, uh, <laughs> becomes too,
1: and a human being on the planet and human Earth, beings
0: right, uh, becomes too overwhelming. Uh, my way of self-soothing is I go through that progression. it's like a quarterback, you know, and I know a lot of people don't watch football, but you know a quarterback how he decides who he's going to throw the ball to, he has a progr- he has to go through his progressions of this is the first receiver I- I'm looking to throw the ball to if he's not open, I go to the second receiver I go to the third that's go a to great the way. Fourth. And so i I approach my uh angst the same way I go, oh, I feel a little anxious, it feels like it's out of control, let me go through my progression. So then I'm like, let me journal a little. So sometimes my journaling could be uh, three words. Right. Sometimes it'll be three pages. Uh, my exercise could be one minute, or it could be one hour. The reading, the meditation, all of it. So I'm not stuck in this, it's not a rigid uh, formula in terms of time, right? But it is rigid, usually, in terms of uh, what, what I do first, second, third, fourth, and fifth. But I'll even go out of order sometimes. You know, some mornings I wake up and I'm like, I just I want to exercise right now, right? And then I'll get to the journaling later and the meditation and things like that. But you know, at the end of the day, if I'm still feeling a little anxious, I will then be like, All right, did I do all five? I'll be like, oh, I forgot to meditate or I forgot to journal. And then I'll do that. And then I'll be like, if I do all five, then I check back in with myself. Like, all right, how are we feeling now? It's kind of like you got your medicine. Do you feel better?
1: There's uh, That's so great. Um, I really like all of that. And I remember when I was getting sober, there used to be an acronym, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. And a lot of times I think for me particularly – those things are the kryptonite that just disempower me first of all if i don't get enough sleep i am toast and i am a witch i mean i am not fun to live with my poor family um they would try to wake me up early and i I would just be the wrath of Khan. i mean i ah, i will kill everybody um so sleep is really really important to me um I have a very dear friend, Jack, who um, he's been sober longer than I have. And I would call up, this person a, and I'm sick of, and it's what, what is their deal? And if I have one more, I can't. And I'd just be screaming and yelling. And he'd say, uh, Julie, Julie, what? When was the last time you had something to eat today? I mean, that's the Snickers commercial, but it's, so true. I mean, I, it's sometimes so simple. Yes. Drink some water. Mm-hmm. Eat some food. Take a nana nap. Pet your dog. Pet your cat. Just dis- That's what Abraham taught me so beautifully. Just distract yourself because if you, pu- if you try to figure it out, you're just increasing the momentum of that thing. So it's one of the things that Abraham says all the time that I love so much. We make a big deal out of this. Should we pause? Uh, we should pause.
0: Uh, go ahead, and answer that. Okay. Sorry, guys. We take a commercial break. I, I would pause, and now we're back to our regularly scheduled program. Uh, we had a little phone call. We we are we are in uh, Julie's uh, cabin room, and I uh, got a phone call. Uh, but but go ahead. You're saying hungry, angry, lonely. Tired. Yes.
1: Um, but the, what one of the things that um, Abraham says and a lot of people say who are truly spiritual teachers, we make such a big deal out of everything. And it's not that serious. Um, I think w- what a lot of people, okay, so I think what a lot of people sort of feel with, and I'm going to, I'm sort of squirreling around in this comment. I don't know how you feel, but when I'm doing comedy, um, I love talking to three groups of people particularly. I love talking to little kids just because they are so in the moment. And you can tell if they like you, they like you. If they don't like you, they don't like you. And I love that. I love that. And plus, they really want to have fun. They want to be goofy they cuz they're connected with who they really are. Right. They haven't been talked out of their guidance yet. The second group is teenagers because I think they're hilarious. I mean, they're dramatic, they're goof- everything's
0: extreme. Oh, yeah.
1: so extreme and plus they're going through such horrifying physical manifestations. I mean, you know, the hormones and the voices and they they just look like their dough baking in an oven. They just the look arms bit, are
0: too long. Oh, hilarious! Feet are outgrowing They're, is, Yeah,
1: hilarious. <laughs> and then the third group I like to talk to are people over seventy five, hmm. because people over seventy five figure, hey, this is golden time. I didn't even think I would be here. I've made peace with my life. Was what it was. You got to just deal with it. Suck it up, buttercup, because this is who I am. Like you were saying how you follow Betty White. Yes, people. It's interesting. So I'm 61, and people sort of between the ages of 50 and 65, to me, are the biggest pain in the neck because of this. They are really coming to terms with retiring. My life is, is wrapping up. Not everybody, by the way. This is an average. Um, my life is wrapping up. Who was I? Did I leave my legacy? What about my family? Then the bigger question, am I going to get yelled at by God? Is there a God? Is there a devil? Is there hell? Is there heaven? What will become of me? Will I be in the lake of fire? What will I just disintegrate? And will anybody ever know I was here? I mean, those big questions. That's why... They are the biggest complainers. They are the hardest audience. They are a pain because 50 to 65, they're like, the meaning of it all. 75, they're like, screw it. This is me. This is what happened. As far as I know, I could be—I could die tomorrow. Who cares?
0: All right. And they got bigger problems like pooping.
1: <laughs> Just bowel movements. Become. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even care. That's the beauty of it. They're like little kids in that they way. They are, right. They, you know, vomit, poop, pee themselves. <laughs> they're like, what do you want to do now? La, la, la. But they lick
0: their fingers. They're, yeah, they oh, like, yeah. not All the manners are completely out the window. Yeah, it's
1: hilarious. <laughs> it's Really, really funny.
0: Yeah, I always feel like you should keep it is great because I think you should always keep those three age groups in your on your team. Oh, I you love that. Have kids around, uh, you know. And we've kind of lost that in our uh, individualistic society, right. That where it, it was, it was always been like that. Where you had the kids, you had the parents, then you had the grandparents, and if you had those three around, then you were you were it kept you alive, it kept you going, and it kept your kept your mind expanding. Well,
1: what it's interesting, you see it like, especially out on ships. Um, you see people from different countries other than the United States really still maintain that they all travel together. Asian families. They, they, they all really from India or from China or from Japan. They all sort of travel together. They all are together. Um, I see that a lot. Uh, Which is fantastic because you have all those perspectives. And uh, a friend of mine used to say, the reason grandparents and grandchildren get along so well is they share a common enemy. (laughs) I love that. The one in the middle is like, you're (laughs) the problem. But, you know, there's the, the wonderful thing, and we talked about this last night, I know that there are people probably listening to this or will come upon this who are really kind of like, "What does it all mean? And why am I here? And um, life sucks, and uh, you know, I I want to go out. And I I you know what? When people are making that decision, that is their best decision. This is this is their best idea, and I understand that. And sometimes that has to happen. It, it's the best decision. And for them, the path of least resistance, as Abraham would say, is to go now. Um, and I don't feel as badly about that anymore. I don't try to talk people out of that. If that's what their best decision is, um, I got to give it to them. I hope that it can be peaceful. Because I don't believe that there's a death. I don't believe that there's an end. Mm-hmm. Kaput, nothing, dirt nap, warm food. I don't believe any of that. Because if we are part of what's our stars and planets, right. we must go on.
0: Well, you know, and what's powerful about that is I, when I was uh, counseling clients and I've had people come in uh, who wanted to uh, complete suicide. Yeah, And I would say... Okay, all right, so what does that look like? Mm-hmm. It's, like you said, no resistance. And as we start to talk through it, there finally becomes a point where now that the resistance is gone and they've thought through it and now they don't want to do it. Right. They, they're in, they're a different person. And that, in a few minutes, it took them to actually talk about it, think through it, right. and see that I generally was like... You know, hey, I, I'm validating how you feel and what you think. Let's talk through, you know, what what this looks like and and you know all the different scenarios. That's then, really great. That's and, really uh, a helpful yeah, thing because I I think so so many times and <clears throat> because I think what happens is so many people have those feelings and they don't talk about it because they're afraid of the resistance they're going to receive. Right. And really, most people just want to be hurt. Absolutely. They just want to feel hurt Absolutely. It want, want to feel like they're. Oh, I can have these feelings. It doesn't mean I have to act. Like I. There's a lot of thoughts that I've had that I haven't acted on. Christ. You know what I'm saying? Like yes, I've had a I million do. thoughts. <laughs> so we're. Not, it goes back. Like you're not your thoughts. You know what I'm saying? That's right. And and so like we really think it through. Um. Then you you go. Oh. Uh, you know what I I just. Really, what, you, what really is that you just really want to process those feelings. Right.
1: Absolutely right? true.
0: But because you haven't had a chance to process it, you're stuck at the initial thought of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And But it's like you need somebody to kind of pull you through to the other side to be like, oh, I just want to explore.
1: Abraham um, says this really, had this really great conversation and said to this person, You know, if you saw someone bleeding on the side of the road, beat up and bleeding, of course we would all stop and see what we could do about helping that person. But if we see somebody who's angry or lashing out, we are afraid of them. And what is the difference? They are hurting. They are really hurting. And exactly what you said, to give them an opportunity to just have that because it's, you and I talked about this the other night, when you have it, you go through it and it dissipates. But it's when you resist it that it persists. And for so many people, suicide is wrong, suicide is illegal, God is gonna punish you, you're going to limbo, all of these crazy things that first of all, nobody knows for sure. No, Not one of us knows for sure. You know for sure about your experience But I, that's the, that's the hilarious thing about us as humans. We think we know best for everybody and nobody knows best for anybody. Even if you gave birth to the person, you don't know, you're not living their experience. Even if you're sleeping with a person, you don't know who they are and what they're here for. And, and it's, you know, the best thing that I ever hear is Julie, it's none of your business.
0: Absolutely, none of your business, and we're gonna end it there, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, of, it's none of your business. business. I, oh, um, thank you so much for this. Thank you for doing it every podcast. We always, of course, I, I usually do it at the top, but we're gonna tail end it. Uh, make the phone call because, like we said, it's about most of us just want to be heard, yes, I mean, we want to feel seen, and um. You know, make that phone call 1-800-S-U-I-C-I-D-E or call the 1-800-TALK uh, number if you just need to talk. And, and there's no hierarchy of pain. Find someone, find a group, um, and and, and uh, your story needs to be and should be heard.
1: Could I just add? Yes, please. Just, just be willing to ask for help. Just be willing to ask for help. Um, and there is no shame in the game. There is no shame. And the worst, most ridiculous thing that you've thought has been thought by other people, too. For <laughs> <Yes>. sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I know. I, just, I had a client the other day say to me, "She, I was telling her about my anxiety. She was like, you get anxious? Of she course. She like, oh, I didn't know that people get anxious. And... So we're still in this age of where people think other people don't have the same. You know, we all like you said. We it's called being human.
1: That's right. That's right. right. Thank you, Leo Flowers. Thank so you, much.
0: Julie Barr. And where can people find you? You have a website, social <clears throat> media.
1: Uh, I do have a website that's currently being constructed. Uh, I am on Facebook and Pink Funny Girl on Instagram. Pink
0: Funny Girl.
1: Pink Funny Girl on Instagram that. and uh, Julie Barr and Facebook and. Um, yeah, 36 years into the game of stand-up comedy, I'm finally getting involved, and I will have a website, juliebar.com.
0: <laughs> Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for rating it. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, and, and please continue to, to post comments on iTunes. That really helps. And, and even just send me comments uh, at leoflowers.com or on uh, Instagram, leoflowers2000. Thank you for tuning in, and we will talk to you again soon.